of what you can do for us in our small minds, Lord, but what you already did for us on the cross, that you rose again and that you say yes to us. Even when we say no to you, you run after us when we run from you, Lord. And I just am so thankful this morning that there's nowhere we can go to flee from your presence, that you love us and you want us to be in relationship with you. And I just pray that um, as we meditate on Palm Sunday and what it means for us in our lives here today, Lord, in this church, in the Lehigh Valley, in Pennsylvania, in the United States, in the world, I just pray that your truth and your grace and just what you want us to be as part of your kingdom washes over us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Riverbend. I'm Katie Casamassa, your Connections Coordinator. Here's what you need to know. River Rock students can now go to their class. Their class is located to the left as you exit the gathering space. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Lent is a season of personal reflection that offers us time to reflect on our sin and the need for our Savior's death and resurrection on the cross. This year, our weekly reflections will focus on the mercy of God. You can read this week's Lent post at riverbendonline.org slash blog. We are excited to announce this year's Easter weekend schedule. On Good Friday, April the 15th, we hope you can join us for an online gathering where we will reflect and remember that monumental day 2,000 years ago. The gathering will begin streaming on the Riverbend YouTube channel at 6 p.m. and will go for about an hour. This Saturday, April the 16th, we invite you, your friends, and family to come join us at Wayne Group Park from 10 a.m. to noon for an Easter egg hunt. Kids 11 years old and under will celebrate Easter with an egg hunt, and everyone will enjoy games, snacks, and giveaways. We hope to see you there. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we hope that you will come and celebrate our risen Savior starting at 10.30 a.m. Be sure to invite your friends and family and take advantage of our Easter photo booth and petting zoo after the service. The next Discover the Valley event will be a community cleanup day at Duraf High School on Saturday, April 23rd from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can sign up for this at riverbendonline.org slash cleanup or email Pastor Joe at joe at riverbendonline.org with any questions. Speaking of Duraf High School, we are very excited to announce that the students will be presenting the play Godspell. This play has been assistant directed by our very own Kim Millward and is about Jesus' teachings through his death and resurrection. Tickets are $10 and seats are assigned, so if a group wants to sit together, they need to buy them together. Tickets can be purchased online or at the door. The play will be presented on the 28th, 29th, and 30th of April and start at 7 p.m. We are very excited to announce that Riverbend will be hosting its very first VPS this summer from July 11th to the 15th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Children ages 3 years old to 5th grade are welcome to attend. To learn more, to register your children, or to sign up to serve, please go to riverbendonline.org slash VBS. If you have any questions, please contact Sam Schwarzy at sam at riverbendonline.org. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate our Savior through Palm Sunday. Well, happy Palm Sunday to you. We're so glad you are here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, so we want to welcome you here with us this morning. And when you came in, you may or may have not taken advantage of these palm branches. So do me a favor, just throw them up in the air for me and wave them like you just don't care. Yeah, and you can even use your hand. That's fine. Your hand is good, too. You just wave them because what we're going to do today 
as we are in this day and really leading into what's called Holy Week, I really want to give us you could you could stop doing that though. You could keep doing it, but you could you could stop doing it right now. I didn't tell you that though, but yes, you could keep doing that the whole message. That would be amazing. Um, but what we want to do today is we really want to prepare our hearts for what's what's to come. And I think oftentimes when we come around a week like this, it's easy to just go through the motions and maybe miss the point. You know, it's easy to do that, or we don't even fully understand what it is that we're talking about. You know, sometimes we can drive past something so often that it becomes background to us, or we don't even see it. And this recently happened to me. I, I actually was looking for a park to do a prayer walk in. And I was driving, looking for this park. I was like, ah, I know it's over here somewhere. But I missed my turn. You ever had a moment like that? And you're like, oh, stink, I missed the turn. And there's not a convenient place to turn around. And then all of a sudden, the next couple of, 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 of miles right to my right, I saw this. And I saw a picture of this park. But I had never seen it before. But it had been there the whole time. It had been there the whole time. I just hadn't seen it. I've driven past it so many times. And I pulled over. And then when I went through this park, they had all these different bridges, all these paths. It was beautiful, all these views. And I think, again, like me in this park, I think we can do the same thing with Jesus. We can just miss him. He's there, but we don't see him for who he is. And it's tempting to know language, but not to know what that language actually means, or to go through motions, or even to miss the significance of what it is that we are celebrating. And so as we begin our time together today, I want to ask just a simple question. How would you describe Jesus? How would you describe Jesus? What would you use to describe who he is? And there's probably all kinds of of thoughts and, and words that come to our mind about how we would describe Jesus and what we hope he will be like and what we hope he will do in our lives. And some of those descriptions may be fully accurate, but oftentimes what I have found in my own life, it's easy to project on Jesus what I want him to be versus who he truly is. And not only who he truly is, how he wants to move and minister in my own life in a way that may not be what I think I need, but is truly what I need. He has something for us, and, and not only something for us, but he longs for us to experience the life that he has created each and every one of us for. But what's difficult, what's difficult is to move to the place of truly trusting him for who he is. Trust is a scary thing. It really is. I, I think back to my own journey with Christ. And recently I was asked to share my own faith story. And I was thinking back through it. And I was just reminded how challenging it was for me to cross the line of faith, even though it was very clear God was trying to get my attention. He was using people. He was using circumstances. He was trying to woo me to himself. But the trust part was the difficult part. It was the difficult part to say, I know about you. I know information. I know Bible verses. I know church services. I know all the holiday schedule when it comes to Christianity, but I can't yet trust you. 
That was the hardest thing for me. My unbelief. My unbelief in who he is and what he had for my life. That he actually had my best interest in mind. That was really hard for me to believe. And there's a lot of circumstances behind that, and I won't get into them, but I want you to hear it in your own life as well, that he wants for you to experience who he truly is and this life that he wants to give each and every one of us that's found in him is a life that truly is marked with this deep satisfaction because we all have longings and yearnings deep within who we are. And as we think about Palm Sunday in particular, what's so fascinating when you read what we're going to look at today, we're going to actually look at John 12 through 17. We won't look at all the verses, just by the way. But when you start looking at what you read in John 12, as Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem, you have to look back to what happens in John 11. In John 11, Jesus raises his best friend, one of his closest friends from the dead, Lazarus, who's the brother of of Mary and Martha. Very good friends. They spend a lot of time together. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and people are drawn to Jesus. And I would think so. After you see somebody that was dead, raised from the dead, and then he goes on in the next chapter to eat with Lazarus, right? So it wasn't just like this like walking dead kind of thing. This is like actually like he, he's really alive, right? He's eating, like he's eating the food. Like he's not like a zombie or anything crazy like that. And so people are drawn to Jesus. They're drawn and, and, and it's, it's really um, not only that they're drawn to him, but the crowd continues to grow. And this is during Passover as well. When Passover signifies how the nation of Israel was brought out of captivity. They were set free from Egyptian oppression. And Passover is a time to celebrate that and to remember that. And so this is happening. And then in this context, something else has happened. There's Roman oppression and rule over Israel. And not only Israel and and the Jewish people, but then you have religious leaders who have misused who God is and what he has for the people. This is all happening at one time. So what we're about to step into, it's going to help us to get a little context and frame out where we are going to go today. Because I want us to really see Jesus for who he is. I want us to get a panoramic view of who this Jesus is, who it is that we're talking about in Holy Week. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 12. We're going to start here. And verses will be on the screen. You can use the Bible app as well. You can follow along through the Riverbend app. We have a a section called Sunday Essentials that has an outline that goes with today's message. Listen to what happens here. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come, that had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out meeting went out to meet him, shout, shouting these, these words here. Let's read this highlighted section out loud together on three. One, two, three. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And so they're, they're putting these palm branches. They have them waving. They're putting them down. They're, they're saying these words. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he, again, who comes in the name of the Lord. And the word Hosanna in Hebrews means simply, please save or save us now. Please save or save now. 
And this palm branch really signifies this idea of victory. And what they were hoping was going to happen is that they were hoping that this Jesus that they are celebrating, this Jesus that they just saw do this miracle, and throughout the Gospel of John, he does all kinds of signs and wonders, that Jesus is going to deliver them from political oppression and Roman rule, that he's going to be a political messiah, that he's going to be a revolutionary as a revolutionary who had come 150 years prior, who had overthrown Rome. And there, there's a lot of uh, context that's happening here. And, and palm branches were used in that overthrowing 150 years prior, as, as Rich Velotis talked so well about. And this palm branch was then put on coins to signify the victory. And they're like, hey, if that revolutionary did it 150 years ago, if we are celebrating Passover and we remember how God has delivered us from the Egyptians, surely, Jesus, you're able to deliver us from Roman oppression and rule. Surely you're able to do that. And yet, as we look at who Jesus is, as we see who he is, and as we go back to those verses, and we look at what it says about him, where it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're getting a sense of who he is without fully, truly understanding who he is. They're hoping for a political victory. But Jesus has come to give a victory that's far greater than that. The victory over sin and death. And it continues on here. Listen to what it says. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And so what's so fascinating, when you think about how Jesus comes into Jerusalem, you're thinking, surely he's going to take a war horse and come in. Surely he's going to come in in a chariot. Surely he's going to show his power and his might and his majesty. But what Jesus does is he comes in on a donkey and a young donkey. And what this signifies is his humility. This signifies that while they were looking for a war with Rome from Jesus, Jesus is saying, I've come to bring a peace that is not of this world. I've come to bring true power that is not of this world. And you see him do that again and again, leading up to his ultimate crucifixion. You hear him talk in those ways. And we know it doesn't end just in a crucifixion. He's buried and then he raises from the dead. But in the midst of that, his disciples are like, I don't get this. We don't understand. In fact, when you read Acts 1, 7 through 8, it's really clear when Jesus ascends and he's going up, they're like, so are you now bringing back and establishing the kingdom of Israel? They're asking that question post-resurrection as he's going up. And he's like, the dates and the times are not for you to know. You're to wait for the Holy Spirit and you're going to go be my witnesses to all nations. And again, they're, they're waiting and they're wanting him to be something that they can manage, something that matches what they think a Savior and a Messiah should look like and be for them. They can't see him for who he truly is. Well, it continues on here, and it says, Now the crowd that was with him 
when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so what you're seeing happen as people are coming after Jesus, as the crowd is growing, this is really the first time we see this idea of going viral take place, right? It's happening. Word is spreading. People are like, whoa, wait a second. This is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. And the religious leaders are like, we can't believe he did that. We want to take him out, you know? And at first glance, when you hear this and you hear what the religious leaders are saying, you're like, wow, man, what a move of God. Man, God is showing up there. The people are coming out to meet him. Well, if you continue to read in John 12, which we won't do today, but I want to invite you to do this week, most of these people walk away from Jesus when they realize he's not going to be who they want him to be. They're going to walk away. Their unbelief is so astounding that in another passage it says that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He's heartbroken. And these signs and these miracles are done. In fact, uh, the voice from heaven, God's voice speaks in the midst of Jesus talking to them, explaining what he's going to do. And still, and still they turn away and they don't come after him. They don't become a follower of Jesus. They don't put their trust in Jesus. And I just wonder for us, are we wanting Jesus to be a savior that we can contain and control and that checks all of our ideology in our boxes and all the ways in which we prefer our life to look versus the way in which he truly is and what he has for us. What is right now in your life that's causing you to walk in a spirit of unbelief about Jesus and to put your trust in who he is? I want you to think about that. Where, what is it in your life right now that you know these verses, but yet you do not know Jesus and he's made himself available to you today? He's provided a way. He's come near to you. Again, what Jesus does is he comes in such a way that wasn't expected. Because again, we have in our mind a power construct. And you've got to imagine as he rides in on a donkey that the Roman authority is laughing at Jesus. Oh, this is going to be the revolutionary that they're waiting for? This guy's going to bring in a revolution? He's riding a donkey. <laughs> this guy's riding a donkey. How powerful can he be? How powerful can he be? And not only were the people of Rome saying that, but some of the religious leaders, they're snickering and mocking they can't see him for who he is because his power is not the way the world defines power. It's a different way of life. It's a way of the kingdom of heaven. And see, we have to get with Jesus to get who he is and what he's about. The people did come out, and that should be applied. They came out to meet him. They came out to seek him. But what happens when we come out to seek him and he's not what we expect? Are we willing to still lean in and to continue to explore, to come with our doubts, to come with our questions, to come with our pain points. Like, I don't understand why the church is this way. Fill in the blank. I don't understand why my mom and dad did this. I don't understand what's going on in the world. Can we come to him with those things? Because he welcomes that. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your pain. He says, come to me. Come to me. And what's so fascinating for the disciples, for the crowd, for the religious leaders, again, they couldn't fully see 
who Jesus is. And so what I want to do as we continue to journey through the life of Jesus as we get ready to celebrate his crucifixion and his death and his burial and his resurrection, I really want us again to get this panoramic view because not only does he show something different, but there's some words that he gives to the disciples that are going to be key for us to understand what this signified, what we just saw, and then what he tells them. He pulls them aside. And these are some of his last words. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at some of these passages from John 13 through 17 for us to understand the way of Jesus, this way that's not of this world, this way that is so different, this king who is the king of all kings, this one who has all power and all authority, and yet shows us a way that is truly revolutionary. If you are able, I want to invite you to read this with me out loud on three. One, two, three. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, this is a new command I give you. Love one another as the world loves you, as your mom and dad loved you, as a religious leader loved you, as a political leader loved you. No, no, no. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. This love is perfect. This love is complete. This love is unconditional. This love not only gives us what we want, but what we need. This love allows for differences to come around who Jesus is and what he has for us. Think about this. The people in that room, you've got a tax collector, you've got fishermen, you've got all, a zealot in there. You've got all kinds of people in that room hearing this. And do you think they always liked each other? Do you think so? I, I don't think so. I think they're like, man, I can't believe Matthew's in here. What's Jesus doing making him a disciple? You know, he's taking advantage of his own people, right? All kinds of thoughts are happening. From them, But Jesus says, hey, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are about me and my ways, that you've apprenticed under me. And an apprentice is really this language of disciple. To come under a master teacher, a master leader. And for Jesus, it's not only to come under his teaching and his ways, it's to put our trust and our faith in him. But he says the way that that's going to be seen is by the way we love one another. Our love for each other, our love for those around us as well. And then as you go through John's gospel, again, again, these are the last words, some of the last words Jesus spoke. They're wondering, where are you going to go, Jesus? Where are you going? This is found in John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And one of the most interesting things about what Jesus does is as he's in John 13, as we see that, and then it makes his way through John 13 through 17, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. He's serving them, but he's saying, hey, my serving you is ultimately going to lead to my sacrificing for you. And he says, as I sacrifice for you, I want you to know who I truly am. And even though they couldn't fully understand it, as we'll see when you continue through John's gospel, he makes it clear. Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited to put their trust in me. Because I am the way, 
I am the way to the Father. I am the way that life is intended to be lived. I am the way towards wisdom and all that life is created for. I'm the way, the truth. In other words, I want to tell you not only what God says of you and has for you and who I am and your need for a Savior, but I want you to be aligned with the design that God created for you so that you could be set free. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning, I want to give you life that's full, as John 10, 10 describes. Life that's abundant. Life that's marked with this joy, this hope, this peace that's found in Jesus. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, I want you to get who I truly am. I'm serving you, and my ultimate act of serving you will be to be sacrificed for you. And no one's going to take my life from me. I'm going to give it. I'm going to lay it down. And through me, through me, you can have access and a right standing with God. Through me, you can join God and what he wants to do in your life, through your life, and around you. Through me. It's for everybody. And so this brings us to the first part of this. Jesus is the most powerful king that uses his position of power to serve others. He uses his position of power to serve others. And there are a few examples that we get to see of this on display. But I think about the president in Ukraine. And I think about how he's on the front lines, right? How he's modeling this kind of mindset of, hey, I'm using my position of power to serve my people. But Jesus is even more powerful than the president of Ukraine. Jesus is the most powerful king that uses his position of power to serve others. So here's a question for you. Do you use your position of power to serve others? And you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have a position of power. Oh, oh yeah? Oh yeah, who are the people in your life? Who are, who are those friends? Who's that spouse? Who are the children? Who are the coworkers? Who's your boss? These are people that you daily and regularly have opportunities to serve. To not just give them what they want, but what they need. These are opportunities that we get to have every day where we join Jesus and say, hey, how can I help the people around me experience God's love practically? What, what could I do? How could I serve them in response to how I've been perfectly and completely loved by the God of the universe? How could I do that? He's the most powerful king ever and uses his position of power to serve others, not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom as it says in Mark 10, 45. He did that for you and he did that for me. So how could we have this mindset? Who are the people in our lives that as we look at who they are, these are again, Jesus' last words we're looking at here. Who could we serve? How could we serve? How could we practically be looking for opportunities? And even people outside of our circles of influence, God's gonna give us opportunities in that way as well. But I find it's easy when we have people in our circles of influence to not see them. And it takes intentionality. Jesus, give me your eyes to see the people around me. Give me your eyes to see my wife. Give me your eyes to see my son. Give me your eyes to see my team here at Riverbend that I work alongside of. Give me your eyes to see my neighbors. Give me your eyes to see the waiter, the waitress. Give me your eyes to see them that I could join you in serving them. Again, do you use your position of power to serve others? Well, Jesus continues on here. In John 15, 5, it says this. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, what's the word here? Nothing, really? I mean, I thought I can, I can do something. What, can I, what's going on here? Jesus is saying, hey, there's a way of life where we're trusting so deeply and we have this daily dependence on who he is and we're anchoring ourselves in Jesus that it goes down to the root system of who we are. Because oftentimes we want to change the fruit of our lives without getting to the roots. And how, how many of you guys out there garden? Any gardeners out there, right? You know, you know, as much as you want to like change the fruit, you know, or as much as you want to change what it is that's coming up, if the root system's out of whack and not what it should be, it's not healthy, it won't lead to life. It just won't. It may have some green come up, but not the fruit and the vegetable that you want, right? Same thing is true in our own lives. Yes, we can manufacture something. But the life that God has called us to is a life of daily dependence, of walking in friendship with Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look like Jesus in his character, who we're becoming, and our competencies, meaning the way in which he lived his life and what he valued and what he was about, so that we can reach our capacity in Christ. This is not about striving. This is not about earning. This is about resting so deeply in Jesus that out of the grace and the overflow of who he is towards us, this is the byproduct, right? When the root system's right, it can't help but produce the fruit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is our life in Christ. And there's fruit that he wants to bear, not only in who we're becoming, but how we'll join him in what it is he's doing all around us. Which leads us to this part. And this is in John 15 as well. It says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And through John 14 and John 15, you hear Jesus talk about the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And here's what's so beautiful. That advocate is within us. Those who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is it signifies that we have a relationship through trust in Jesus and that the Spirit, Spirit's within us at work in our lives. But here's the deal. Paul made it clear in Ephesians that we daily need to be filled with the Spirit. And what that means isn't that the Spirit has left us, but if we're going to be filled and stay in step with the Spirit, we need to daily surrender. We need to say, Holy Spirit, I want you to have your will and your way in my life. I want you to have access to my thoughts, to my actions. I want to give you every part of me. I want to join you in what you're doing. And for them, they were going to need an advocate. They were going to need a counselor. They were going to need a comforter. And guess what? So do you and so do I. We need to know we're not orphaned and we're not alone and we're not abandoned. But for them specifically, they're going to watch their leader, their rabbi, their teacher, their savior be betrayed and murdered on a cross. They thought it was game over. 
They thought it was over. They didn't think he was going to raise from the dead. They didn't even understand that concept. They didn't understand how that could happen. And not only were they going to need it for that moment, but when they're in front of Jewish leaders, Roman officials, to bear witness to who Jesus is, they were going to need courage to do so, to have the words. And you know what? You and I, we need those words too. We don't know oftentimes what to do in situations that we find ourselves in, whether that's at work, whether that's with our children, whether that's in relationships, but we have an advocate that goes before us. We're praying for people who are far from God in our lives right now, family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and we don't know what to do and how to share with them because we're so afraid. I want you to know, whenever you choose to say yes to when Jesus is prompting and moving, the Spirit will give you the words. He will show up. He will show up. He, he show off. He is the advocate. He is the counselor. He is the comforter. If you're at a pain point right now in your life and you feel so alone, I want you to know you're not. There's a God who loves you and sees you and the spirit of the living God wants to provide the comfort and the strength that you need for this moment. He wants to walk with you. And he uses his church, as we're gonna see in just a few moments, to help bring that. Well, as we continue on here, I want us to read this part out loud together. One, two, three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Have you guys seen trouble in the world? Is, is there any, have you seen any trouble recently? Jesus said, hey, I want you to know trouble's coming. But I'm telling you these things because I want you to know, I want you to have peace. And not peace of circumstances, but a peace even in the midst of the most unpeaceful circumstances. I want you to experience my deep inner work in your life that gives you this sense of well-being and made whole before God. And that, that word is the word shalom. Say that with me. Shalom. Shalom. And he's like, I want to give you this. This is the kind of peace I give to you. Even when you find yourselves in circumstances that you wouldn't wish on anybody or that you don't want to be in or that you are having a difficult time with, he gives peace. He gives peace even when things are going well and you're excited, but there's so much of a good thing. Sometimes you don't even know how to operate. You ever have that moment? You're like, oh man, there's a lot of good stuff happening right now. I don't know. Like, oh man. But you start having anxiety, right? Or is it just me, right? Like, like, man, I'm trying to map it all out. I'm like, all right, if I do this, you know. Like, uh. And I work myself into a frenzy when the advocate promises every day to give me strength and wisdom and grace. And Jesus has said, I give you peace. I have given you my peace. In this world, again, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is the overcomer. Jesus is our victory. He's the overcomer. And if you're feeling like I've got to overcome in my power, no, good news today. It's through the power of Christ working in you that provides the strength to overcome and to give you the final victory that we're celebrating and the final victory that we are waiting on when all things will be made new. So through death and sin, he's going to defeat. He's going to overcome those things. And there's a day where we're going to see this resurrected Savior. He won't be riding on a, 
on a donkey. He'll be riding on a white horse, demonstrating, as the book of Revelation says, his final victory, and we will join him. But in this moment, in the meantime, we get to walk with him and experience his peace, and our life can produce fruit. See, Jesus is the most powerful king that comes to bring peace and enables us to produce fruit. The most powerful king serves us in this way so that we can have peace, so that we can produce fruit, so that we can live the life that he has purchased for us, that we could never earn, that we could never sacrifice enough for or give enough for. He perfectly did that for us. But now we have to step into it. Are you ready to step into it? Because he's inviting us to step into it. His peace that enables, again, us to produce fruit. So do you have the peace of Jesus And is it producing fruit in your life? And peace does not mean that we minimize our mental health issues and challenges. It does not minimize the the need at times for counseling or if your doctor believes you need prescription and medication. It doesn't minimize any of that. But those are all even from God, tools and resources. These are ways in which he allows us to experience his grace and goodness in our lives. They're not silver bullets as we know. But we're looking to Jesus as the one that gives us this peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And he wants in our lives to produce this fruit. So again, do you have the peace of Jesus and is it producing fruit in your life? For many of us, as we hear producing fruit, we get kind of hung up on that. Because we're like, man, clearly I've got gaps. I've got gaps in my life. You're like, ah, I don't know how much fruit I'm really producing these days, right? Like, good news, we all have gaps. And the great part of acknowledging that is meaning that we get to join Jesus and letting him fill in those gaps. And we get to not only join him, but we look forward to the day when all things will be made new. But in the meantime, here's the beautiful thing. We get to look at our lives. Are we growing year over year? And sometimes we have these setbacks and these things that are hindering our growth and development in Christ. But are there, there are things in us right now, as we look at our lives, we say, hey, you know what? I'm not where I was even a couple months ago. I'm not where I was a year ago or a couple years ago. Do the people around us, are they seeing Jesus' character form in us? As you talk to those closest to you, can they see a, a maturity, not in knowledge solely, but in who you're becoming and what you're about? Again, do you have the peace of Jesus and is it producing fruit? in your life. Well, the last passage I want to look at is this, it's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We won't look at all these verses. Again, I want to encourage you this week to read John 12 through 17, but this is one of his prayer that he prays for us. John 17, 20 through 23. We're going to read this. I know it's a big section of scripture, but we're going to read it out loud together. And if you lose your spot or whatever, that's totally fine. A lot of grace here. Okay. Uh, But just, just go along with it. And we're going to read this and we're going to hold on to this on three, one, two, three, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me. They may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them 
even as you have loved me. This is beautiful to think about. So he not only prays for those there, he prays for us. And what's beautiful to think about is we get to be an answer to that prayer. We get to be an answer to that prayer. Our unity, not uniformity, gets to be an image and a defense for the truth that God sent Jesus into the world, that it really happened. It wasn't just something we read about, but it was a historical event. It becomes a proof, Jesus says, in that way. And not only that, he says that it will show that, that I have loved them even as you have loved me. And so one of the things we need to get as we come around Jesus, we're coming from all kinds of different vantage points and perspectives. But here's the choice we get to make. We get to choose whether we're going to be a person who's disunifying or not. Disagreement is inevitable. Some of my closest friends I disagree with. But I get to choose, will I be a disunifying person? Will I talk about somebody behind their back and justify it because I'm calling it venting? Will I have the worst narrative in my mind about somebody else versus thinking the best? And again, I'm not talking about not having discernment, but I'm just saying we have a choice in the matter whether we're going to be a person who brings disunity or unity. Disagreement, it's always going to happen. It's going to always happen, but disunity is always a choice. It's a decision that we make. But what the world needs more than ever, as Jesus would say, is to see what unity truly looks like around the work and the person of Jesus to see how we as a local expression are unified together, to see how we celebrate our brothers and sisters at other churches and we cheer them on here in the valley, how we celebrate what's going on around the world with the global church, how we celebrate and then when it's time to mourn, we mourn with them. But there's a church that Jesus has made and created through what he would do for us that's meant to be a picture of who he is. Which leads us to this part of the message. Jesus' church is to be a living portrait of his love. And we are meant to be. And in case you're wondering, what's the church? Is it this building? This is where we gather. This is part of it. But it's what we are like even outside this building. As we come around one another. This is why we value things like community groups, friendship groups. This is why... We're looking for opportunities to be on mission together. Again, Jesus' church is to be a, a living portrait of his love. And the next part of this is, do we display an uncommon unity as part of being sent by him? See, he sent him these disciples out, and he sends us out too. But do we, do we have an uncommon unity as part of being sent by him? I want you to be thinking about that. And if you're like, hey, you know what? I don't just have disagreements. I'm a disunifying person. Beautiful. Here's something beautiful for you to hold on to. It's not too late. You can confess. You can make it right. You can change. You can let Jesus do a deep work within you. Again, do we display an uncommon unity as part of being sent by him? We allow him to have access to our life so that we can be this visible picture of this invisible king and kingdom.
on the earth? Will we be his hands and his feet? The way that we love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, and the way we do that together for those who are trying to understand who this Jesus is. Will we do that again? And here's two questions for us. Who can we share with him? Who can we share, who can we share with about who this Jesus is and how he has changed us? Who are the people in our lives? Because Jesus has sent us out. But who are the people? I want you to think about that. Who are the people this Easter season that you could share with the hope of Easter and what it's about? Who are those people? Who's that neighbor, that coworker, that friend? Who are those, those people in your life? And then I want to ask the question, the same question in a different way. And it's simply this. Who could we collectively and then who could you share again? So it's us together and it's us individually as well. Like how can we in our point of context, our circles of influence, and then also collectively, how can we do that together? Because Jesus said together, we're going to show this uncommon unity. That means we have to be on display. We have to be on display with one another to show who he is and what he's done for us. Again, who could you share with about who this Jesus is and how he's changed your life? And who could we, who could we? And that's the next part of that question. And so as we, as we think about this, and as we consider what it is that we've talked about today, as we get a panoramic view of Christ, I want to give you a couple ways to respond this week. First, I want to invite you to read John 12 through 17 this week. We didn't go through all the verses. I want to encourage you to see Jesus as who he is. I want to encourage you to look at who he is and and to say, hey, Jesus, show me who you are. And if you're not a follower of Christ, this is a great time to explore what he's come to do for you and for me, to hear in his own words what it is that he was about. And for those who are followers of Christ, to continue to journey and take our next step towards Jesus. The second part of this, pray about who you could share the hope of Easter with and bring with you next weekend to the Easter egg hunt and Easter Sunday. And on your chair, you receive this card. Hold up this card for me. Um, And on the front here is details about the Easter egg hunt. And on the back is Easter Sunday details. I want to encourage you to leverage this as an opportunity, not just to get people here, but rather to be intentional about introducing people to other people here, to be looking for opportunities to share about the hope of Easter to share the hope of Easter. And we're doing our part to be intentional as we can to create opportunities and environments for people to encounter Christ. But we know that whatever we do is not enough. We collectively need to, again, be his hands and feet. And then the last part is really what I'm getting at here. Let's love one another in a way that makes people ask, why do you love so well? Why do you love so well? Because right now, in case you haven't noticed, the world's really divided. And when the world's divided, a united church is needed more than ever. And we get to be that church. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for how you want to move and minister to us in this season. Lord, we pray right now, God, that we would just sense your great love for us and that we would join you and what it is that you have for us, Lord. So I pray right now that you would move and that you would minister this week 
as we get ready for Easter, Lord, I pray that we would look for opportunities uh, to really be your hands and feet. And then, Lord, I do pray for those who have yet to put their trust in you. I pray that today would be the day that they would do so, Lord. And God, we're just so grateful uh, for your love towards us and for us. We're thankful for the good work that you're doing in our midst. And we can't wait to see what you do this week as we enter into Holy Week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.